0: This programme was produced at and first aired on MPR, Manawatu People's Radio, with support from New Zealand on air. Kapai Irarangi Temotu, MPR. If you're enjoying this podcast in Manawatu, you could make your very own, just like this one. MPR exists to help people like you tell your story or share your passion on air and online. Check out MPR.nz for more information.
1: There. Hi all you, it's uh, Kevin Riley here And welcome to Irish Town Here on the Manowatoo People's Radio in Palmerston North uh, I'm just going to be reading Quite a bit of news here So we'll see how far we can get through it And uh, you know There'll be a bit of music in between I hope Anyway, it uh, hasn't turned out to be a bad morning So far. it was all forecast Doom and gloom, heavy rain and thunder and lightning etc But that hasn't eventuated But it's, yeah, it could rain still It's pretty cloudy Anyway this uh, this 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 lady has died, Vicky Phelan. she was uh, you know, she did tremendous work in the, the Republic of Ireland and in Ireland as a whole. Uh, MPs have paid tribute to the late Vicky Phelan and the Doyle, with government leaders pledging to see through her wishes for Ireland's healthcare system, and opposition politicians calling for action on the shortcomings of it. Uh, T.D. stood for a minute's silence after party. He was paid tribute to the cervical cancer uh, check campaigner who died yesterday. Uh, Leo Votager uh, repeated his apology to the woman affected by the, the scandal and said there would be accountability around the mistake uh, which caused it. St. Fein later, Mary Lou McDonald said Vicky's life was stolen by a vicious disease and profound fears of the state, of government and of the, the health service. During leaders' uh, questions, MacDonald uh, questioned uh, the Prime Minister and the Deputy Prime Minister on how Vicky's hopes for a better healthcare in Ireland would be realised, saying, the best way to honour Vicky's memory is to complete that w- the work that she started. That means bringing the testing of screening samples back to Ireland. Testing continues to be outsourced to labs in the United States. Well, I didn't know that. That's really poor, to say the least. Everyone in the, the doll is committed to ensuring... that that never never again shall we see the failures of this uh, cervical check scandal. So we've got to work together to deliver the changes that Vicky wanted to see and that could have possibly saved her life. Uh, The Prime Minister, now the t Mr. Martin said that the National Cervical Screening Centre at the Combe Maternity Hospital here in Dublin would be open by the end of the year. The building works for the for the new lab were completed there in uh, October this year and then is expected to become operational by the end of the year, so it's not far to go. Uh, he also said, added that the government's aim is to eliminate and eradicate cervical cancer and that this can be achieved through... Uh, HPV vaccine programs, with the health service, and an effective screening program. Meanwhile, Minister for Tourism Catherine Martin described Vicky as a tireless fighter for women, as a courageous mother, a fearless uh, campaigner, and someone who, whose generosity of spirit captured the whole nation. And that's true. I mean, it was amazing how, you know, loved this woman was for the work that she was doing. Uh, her refusal to sign a confidentiality clause in her uh, court action over misread smear tests ultimately exposed uh, what was a failure system in the this, you know a failure a system failure in uh, the cervical check program. Vega has done a great deal of service to all women in this country, and I don't think it is possible yet to fully grasp the scale of her contribution to our society. Social Democrat leader uh, Roisin Shotho told it all without her courageous decision to go public about what had happened to her at great personal cost, the likelihood of is that none of us would have been would have discovered the serious issues with the screening programme that was subsequent, subsequently uncovered. That's just amazing that it was actually it was all sent to America, you know. I mean it's supposed to be a, you know a civilized country, part of the European Union. I'm really stunned, to say the least, to hear that. It's really kind of, you know, really totally, it's not on. You know, it's unacceptable, completely unacceptable. And a country that is kind of as wealthy as Ireland is with all the money from the tech industries. Anyway, what have we got here? Belfast. Visitors set to return to Belfast market. The market, the City Hall in Belfast is just superb. I had the pleasure of being there one Christmas. I was back to see my family. Uh, this, this Christmas market has returned to Belfast this weekend, heralding uh, the beginning of the city's festive sea, uh, seasonal celebrations. The continental style market opens on Saturday, uh, as events including a Christmas parade and the unveiling of the city uh, the city centre illuminations take place. There will be no official uh, Christmas lights. Part shortages, not power shortages, but you know, energy costs. Uh, it is estimated the annual festival market contributes an estimated uh, an economic impact of up to £75 million for the city. That's unbelievable. And this year will include uh, stall selling food, drink, crafts and more uh, representing the 21, the 21 countries from Europe that uh, take part in the, the market. The family favourite attraction is run by the Marketplace Europe, which has recently been awarded a contract to host the event for the next three years. Its Managing Director Alan Hartwell, we have made a renewed investment in the market to make sure that it feels as special as ever. I mean, it's unbelievable. The market is also supporting the, the Pretty in Pink charity, supported by the Belfast Lord Mayor, Tina Black. The charity does, uh, this charity does some amazing work and over the years has supported so many families who are going through a cancer diagnosis and treatment. So this is a great way for people to give something back and people can be, uh, be assured their donations are going to be a fantastic cause. That's good news. The market will run from uh, 12 o'clock on Saturday, this Saturday, uh, until uh, the 22nd of December. And then it sort of, I think they head over to Hyde Park in London, you know, for the new year basically. And this is uh, another bit of good news for Belfast. This also surprised me. This is Harlem Wolf, the shipyards, you know, Titanic and all that. Team Resolute, a a consortium uh, comprising of Harland and Wolf and uh, a number of other companies, would manufacture the the support ships Would provide munitions, stores and provisions to the Royal Navy, aircraft carriers, destroyers and frigates deployed at sea. The proposal pledges that the entire fleet will will be uh, assembled and built in uh, the shipyards in Belfast. Blocks and modules for the ship would also be constructed in Belfast with other carried out at the company's North Devon site in Appledore and at Mithil and Anish in Scotland. Each of these these three ships Will be uh, as long as two Premier Football League, uh, well, two Premier f- Football League pitches, and uh, there would be built using Bath-based company BMT's design. Um, bulwark would also take place in the shipyards and some shipyards in Cadiz over there in Spain. Unusual. Uh, the deal aims to deliver 200 uh, further educational opportunities with Harlan Wolf uh, Welding Academy, set to train 300 new uh, UK welders during the contract. Harlan Wolf's chief executive, John Woods, said the team will make a significant investment in the UK. We will create high quality UK jobs, apprenticeships, and four facilities across the UK will have shipbuilding capaci- uh, capacity, capabilities sorry, for, uh, the 25th, for the 21st century. I think the exciting thing is really ramping up that skill base and continuing to build, to build it, seeing a ship coming out of Belfast again, that we can all be proud of, and putting Belfast back on the international map. Well, it's been off the map for a very, very long time. It was, one of the, it was the biggest shipyard in the world at one time, largest shipyard in the world. It was Last time they did, I think it was a lot of the North Sea oil rigs that were built there and taken up to, the, obviously, the North Sea for the oil exploration. Lord Ireland Secretary Chris heaton marsh said it was a fantastic testimony to Belfast's shipbuilding heritage and reputation for innovation and expertise. UK's Defence Secretary Ben Wallace said uh, the contract will bolster technology transfer and key skills from a world-renowned shipbuilder. Uh, production of the ship is due to start in 2025 and all three are expected to be operational by 2032. So it's a wee bit off, yeah, off yet. And now down to Dublin, this is the housing minister admits not enough uh, houses being built. We've we heard that before, and eh? in most Western countries, the housing minister has admitted that not enough uh, houses are being built in Irish cities. But simply, was going, to, um, but the supply was going in the right direction. Dara O'Brien once again repeated this government, his government would exceed its target of providing twenty four thousand homes this year, but admitted that this would not be enough to meet the housing demand. So we targeted 24,600 this year. We're going to excel that and we're going to deliver more social homes this year uh, than we've actually done in decades. And affordable homes for the first time in nearly a generation. Uh, But O'Brien added, we won't be happy until we're getting to at least an average of 33,000 per annum. 33,000 times, good luck. Uh, To meet with a demand that hasn't been met over the last number of years, uh, we We do need to be getting up to the year of 40,000 houses a year. Yeah, that we're seeing that trend, it's going in the right direction at present. And looking about how we can activate dormant inactive planning uh, permissions to... Because basically, if you look at within our cities, this is vacant homes and vacant buildings that they're trying to, you know, take over, and uh, put pressure on the landlords to either rent them or sell them, or else the government is going to sort of t- move in and use, uh, not take them over; they'll still be in the hands of the landlord, but they're going to sort of rent them out to people. If you know the landlords are just kind of land banking, I suppose, or house banking, whatever you want to call it, so that is good news. So it really is good news. Uh, what have we got? It's still on housing and it's still in Dublin. This is, they're doing a big concert there. You know, a lot of Irish musicians. Irish musicians are showing housing rally against cruel government policy. Yeah, well, their policy has been, you know, crap to say the least. They've been They've been sort of disinterested. You know, paying it, basically just paying lip service to it. The only part had been Sinn Féin, uh, their president, Mary Lou Macdonald, has been pushing them for a long, long time They actually start getting to taking the issue seriously. A housing campaign group has criticised the government's cruel housing policy ahead of a protest with prominent musicians uh, are set to join. The award-winning songwriter, Glenn Hansen, Lisa O'Neill, Donald Lowney, Brendan Bagley, Laura Quirkery, will be among uh, those joining the Razor Roof on the 26th of November. Uh, speakers at an event to publicise the, the Dublin protest in 10 days time said the government was failing to deliver affordable housing. Criticised Housing Minister O'Brien, who we just spoke about, for claiming that his Housing for All plans were delivering, uh, delivering was a, a step stage in housing delivery. The event also heard that during a series of public meetings in counties across the country, they were told one family in Dublin was forced to live in a disused animal shelter. Uh, Macara Doyle, coordinator of the Raise the Roof campaign, said that official policy has now conspired to lock an entire generation out of the housing market, with high prices, rental costs and homeless numbers at record levels. They are in big, big trouble. He said that despite the change of government in 2020, we did not see a change in policy. You look at the targets in housing for all, about 300,000 over the course of the government's lifetime. And the vast majority of those are being delivered by private developers. It's not possible. They cannot deliver, they cannot deliver affordable housing. It's just not on that they should get away with this. Uh, he also said that during the public consultations, people told him high prices and rents had been sparring beyond their means and that the threat of uh, evictions and homelessness looms over them despite the government's winter eviction ban. In one of the meetings we had in Dublin, uh, uh, recently there was a story emerged of a family that were living in a disused animal shelter in a nearby farm and sending kids to school every day and bringing them back to that place at night. They were living next door to the, the pigs and straw. Isn't it? It's kind of unbelievable, unbelievable in a, you know, a first world country, a developed country, you know, a rich country in many respects compared to others in the world. Owen Reading, General Secretary of the Irish Congress of Trade Unions, said that the spread campaign over the the past number of years, the situation remains appalling for so many people. Uh, This campaign is probably the most important campaign that the trade union movement is involved in currently because it's probably the most fundamental issue facing our society today. You look at young people who have been effectively locked out by the state and essentially locked out of uh, not just the aspirations of owning a house, but the aspirations to even have a decent rental accommodation. What is different this time is... Uh, is those who are on decent incomes, those that we would have considered to be well well paid in the trade union movement, white collar, professional background, they're struggling just like everybody else. And I think this is one of those moments where it's civic society says, we've, to, we've had enough, we're all in this together. It is a cruel circular chain of breakdown of public policy, and it's affecting everyone. When asked about it, uh, O'Brien's comments last week that his housing plan was beginning to have an effect. They've been in power for a long time, and it's nothing's changed, really. But they've done stuff. But I'm not sure if they have the same problems that we have here with uh, you know getting tradespeople and also uh, materials. Even dealing with uh, the supply side of it, unless you deal with the affordability, we're going around chasing our tail. So, I think the, uh, the minister needs to know, according to the guy from the union, giving himself a clap on the back if he's uh, comparing some minimal progress to effectively no action. It has to be cheaper, it has to be much more intensive, it has to be quicker. Crucially, it has to be affordable, and we're not seeing that. Rosemary Monaghan of the Irish Traveller Movement said they were way beyond crisis point. 90% of travellers say that mental health is an issue, and we all know that the foundation of one's life, regardless of ethnicity, is at home. A base where your children come home and do their homework, where they can play, where they can have uh, water—something as basic as water—and young children, young Irish children, don't have that in many of the, the, the you know, the, the tenant sites across this country it's for the travellers, and that is shameful, shameful stain on our state. And I agree with you, Rosemary Monahan. There is a shame, you know. Like I said, in the twenty, you know, the twenty-first century, with this is happening. It's just. It's just not on, really. Anyway, this is another. This is from uh, basically London. It's, yeah, it's an Irish paper, but I, I, I was just interested in this and it said the number of Irish people in Britain is in decline. Isn't that amazing? Because that was, you know, that's what everybody, particularly in the north, where I come from people, because of the problems of, you know, the sectarianism and what have you, people just left in droves. And also men uh, with their families used to head over to England to work and come back every, you know, six weeks, eight weeks, because employment in the the north was really skyrocketing. at It was, it was really high. It was pretty common. You You see it in which I lived, a lot of the men just used to, most of the guys... They uh, lived in England, you know, for uh, you know, for a bit of the year, but they'd come home every six weeks to see their wives and children and etc. Cetera, etc. Cetera, and also send all the money home. I mean, it was survival. The latest UK census figures showed the number of Irish-born people living in England and Wales is three hundred and twenty-four thousand six hundred and seventy. At decade know, that number was four hundred and seven. Uh, four hundred. Four hundred and seven. Hundred thousand, three hundred, yeah, three five seven. Wow, There's a lot of people. Of course, the Irish community in Britain always consisted of more than just the Irish born. Their families are many are third generation. All community the communities that would have seen themselves as Irish. That's the nature of these things, of the, of the, the global part of the migration, but it is one hell of a change. Just three years ago, uh, before I was born, there were uh, 683 Irish-born people in the UK. Uh, their families are that total, and it was clear just what a large community that was. Put simply, there were, uh, there were a lot of us, and God, it really felt like it too. I was born and reared in an Irish community in England that utterly shaped my life. There were other factors too, of course, factors of class, and the city I grew up in, uh, for instance, I was reared in the working class inner city of Birmingham. I identified with both of those things myself. In the 1980s, under Tory rule, of course, what else, or who else, the awareness of your class was um, unavoidable as Margaret Thatcher's government was attempting to dismantle that very thing. Having a class consciousness was not a political aspiration, but more of an unavoidable experience of those times. Likewise, growing up just a few streets away from a football stadium, it was impossible not to become entwined with that identity. This was simply intensified by the fact that the team weren't very good, but the fans were legendary. Uh, Layers upon layers of, of identity were, were common. The streets around you, the city, your specific area within your city, your team, your class—you—you uh, you reach adulthood with an assortment of, you know, where you belong and who you are. Irishness was uh, seen. Uh, you know, as large, it wasn't just a kiss me quick, I'm Irish, St. Patrick's Day. Although St. Patrick's Day in Birmingham, even before they officially came back, were pretty extraordinary too. I'm sure I still have the hangover from one of those. Too many decades on, uh, you know, from, you know, celebrating. Uh, no, our Irishness shared nearly every aspect of our lives, where we grew up, where we went to school, and where we worked, etc., et where we drank, where we weren't. That's um, it's just like, yeah... I think that's that different from a lot of places and possibly even in New Zealand, you know, where people sort of, particularly in the Auckland region, where a lot of the, you know, migrant people just sort of stick together in the same neighbourhood. And they, they go into the city, et cetera, et cetera, and they work there, but they have their own communities within communities. So it's uh, interesting to say the least. And this was uh, a bit of good news here as well. Heinz, the beans. Heinz and Bonaros have teamed up to release a limited edition three pack of Heinz Means Meals cans to support disadvantaged children from all over Ireland. Available in Tesco's, Dunn's, and Super Value stores nationwide. For every packet purchased, Heinz Beans will be making contributions to Bonaros breakfast clubs which provides nutritious breakfast uh, food to uh, centres across Ireland. The, the donation comes as part of a partnership between Heinz and Bernardo's, with the two companies working together since uh, 2020. Mm-hmm. Elaine McHugh, I think that's how I said it, Head of Commercial and Manager at Heinz Ireland. Uh, we are incredibly passionate about fighting child hunger alongside our brilliant charity partner, Bernardo's. We are delighted to be releasing our limited packed edition edition, um, Hands, means, meals, three packs, which we hope we can help you know fill thousands of little tummies up and down the island of Ireland. We hope to shine a spotlight on and raise further awareness of this all important issue at a time where there is increased pressure on household budgets, cost of living again, by purchasing a free pack of ours. Special hands mean, means Meals, Kansas Autumn, and Monday you will be helping raise funds for Bernardo's work with disadvantaged children. Mary Gamble, Director of Fundraising Communications and Retail at Bernardo said, we're thrilled to see Hans standing beside us in the fight against child hunger in Ireland. Because of living crisis, seeing more and more families needing our support, some are already struggling parents are facing a winter of severe financial pressure, and some will have to make the heartbreaking decisions of feeding their homes or having nutritious food on their their dinner table. So, it really is grim, you know. And I'm just never feel to be amazed just how how tough it is for basically for a lot of people over in uh, you know Ireland and in the UK in general. You know, possibly the rest of Europe, but the Ireland and UK is uh, an area we actually know a little bit about because there was, uh, I read somewhere that they, they were, had uh, scraps, you know, women were fighting one another in Tesco's. I think this was in England. You know, had special food, you know, cheaper food stuffs in various uh, aisles, and people were fighting and they were punching one another. It wasn't just sort of an argy bargy, it was kind of you know, serious stuff, they had to bring in uh, security people, uh, people fighting to get sort of cheaper cans of beans and spaghetti and stuff like that. I mean, it's just unbelievable, isn't it? You know, again, first world country, just unbelievable. just shows you that when, you know, uh, government policy, the free market, you know, globalization and austerity, this is, this, is, this is the end result of a lot of it, austerity, and sort of, uh, you know, Everything goes, anything goes and everything goes. You know, it's just, it's starting to come home to roost for a lot of families. And I think some politicians are beginning to realise that, you know, they've got to kind of change tack here. The, you know, the community is really quite important. We need the community. Anyway, what have got? This is, uh, like I mentioned about football clubs, it's about Glasgow Celtic. Glasgow Celtic have been handed a 17,500 euro fine by UEFA, Ufa. that's the um, European Football Association, after fans displayed a banner opposing the British monarchy during a Champions League game. The banner which read, against hunger and against the crown, was displayed at, uh, on the stand at, at Celtic Park during the Glasgow club's <coughs> <coughs> pardon me 2-0 uh, re- defeat to RB Leipzig. That's a German side. Uh, the penalty is the second... Uh, received by the club this season for banners opposing the royal family. It's just unbelievable. Uh, They also got fined for their uh, F the Crown uh, banner that was uh, unveiled during the Champions League again last month. It's just, uh, yeah, I suppose, I didn't realise the depth of feeling. Celtic fans display a banner opposing the British money during the game uh, against Shailor Donskic, <clears throat> uh last month and did another uh, Banners were all over the place. So they are getting... But that sort of money to a club like Glasgow Southwick is <coughs> not even small change. Right. So what have I got here? This is... Uh, you may or may not be a word. The, you know, the real World Cup is starting this weekend. That's uh, the Football World Cup. The biggest sporting event on the planet. There's no two ways about that. You know, like, The only thing that comes close to it I think are... Uh, is the Olympics and uh, the Tour de France, you know, for actual numbers. Uh, and this is uh, this woman, Fiona Crowley, of Amnesty International Ireland. This Sunday, the eyes of the world will be focused on Qatar, as uh, the host nation takes on Ecuador in the first match of the, the World Cup. This World Cup has been uh, 12 years in the making, with a reported 200 billion yes, 200 billion American dollars spent on new infrastructure for the tournament. Beneath one of the spectral, however, lies the image of abuse and discrimin- uh, discrimination of those who made this World Cup possible. It is a sight that its fans must not look away from. You know, particularly you know, a lot of Bengalis, uh, Pakistanis, and Indian. You know, a lot of Asian. Uh, workers have died, and it is huge the number because of it, and the, the treatment of their accommodation and all the rest of it. We'll get on to that in a minute. And this is, uh, you know, he's like uh, Beckham, David Beckham. He's getting paid 150 million pounds to support this and advertise the, you know, the World Cup and the country of Qatar. As a, he should be ashamed of himself. This is a World Cup that has been built on the shoulders of hundreds of thousands of workers. The vast majority of them have uh, uh, suffered rampant labour abuse and exploitation. Workers have come from all over the world, mostly from Southeast Asia, like I said, and Africa to, uh, to work on the infrastructure. Many of them worked 12, 14-hour days without rest and extreme heat for months at a stretch. Over the last uh, decade, thousands of young migrant workers have died suddenly and unexpectedly despite passing mandatory medical tests before travelling to the country. Yet the Qatari authorities have failed to properly investigate these tests and, and, and why that would make it possible to determine their that definitive cause cause. Uh, forced labour and other forms of abuse continue, particularly in the private uh, security sector, and for domestic workers, most of whom are women. The payment of ex- uh, extraordinary re- recruitment fees the obscure jobs remains widespread, with sums staggering between 1,000 and 3,000 American dollars. takes many workers months or even years to repay the debt. It's a place where you, know, you take your passport off and you get it back when we're finished with you. If you get it back, In October a human rights organisation documented in many security forces they arrested LGBT individuals in public places, and uh, they sort of, uh, you know, they're really worried about their gender. Uh, and searched their phones. They also said it was mandatory for transgender women to, to attend can, uh, conversion therapy sessions as a requirement for their release. Women also continue to face discrimination in law and practice. Under the guardianship system, women require the permission of their bail uh, guardian to marry, study abroad on government scholarships, work in many government jobs, travel if uh, under the age of 25, and ex- uh, excess reproductive health care. Isn't it just... That's just unbelievable. And that's not how that country ever got the World Cup. Uh, Obviously, you know, someone didn't do their homework or else, you know, they knew what was going on, but they just ignored it. It was money spoke. Family law also discriminates women who face uh, uh, greater difficulties when they're trying to when they're seeking divorce, and much more serious economic disadvantages if they do compared to men. Women are also continuing to be inadequately protected against domestic and sexual violence. And what can I do? You uh, Just look at the, the World Cup and sort of, uh, you know, complain, 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 because this is really deadly serious stuff. So I'll be watching it as well, but I'm also conscious of the fact that they got, you know, how, why they got it. Apparently I was reading somewhere, it might have been The Guardian, <clears throat> you know, I think it was uh, the French government. they had sort of Part of the deal with the Qatar, they were gonna. They offered to buy some of their uh, fighter jets, you know, and it's again, it's hundreds of millions of dollars, uh, and you know, to get their vote when it comes when it came to uh, deciding who was going to be the, you know, the country to run the World Cup. It's just corruption, total corruption. I think uh, FIFA in itself has now become a really corrupt organization, totally, and it's time somebody did something about it because you know, it's just. It's just money, etc., etc., as opposed to the the game of football, the sport. Anyway, that's just my view. But guys, this is uh, another. Uh, this from the Orange Order there in uh, Belfast. A lady member of the Orange Order has said there's nothing to be concerned about after it was revealed that some loyal members had been renouncing their British citizenship. Brexit. Uh, however, Irish citizens living in Northern Ireland could apply to, to bring a spouse or relative to the UK under European Union regulations, which did not have a, a minimum income requirement or a costly application process. One arrangement said the, the detailed investigation web that led to him surrendering his British passport to enable him uh, to bring his tie, brand to enter Northern Ireland. The Reverend Mervyn uh, Gibson, Grand Secretary of the Orange Order, said it's a process that isn't, over, isn't overly, overly concerning. Sometimes you, to get what you want at a certain point in time, you have to make a choice. That's not uncommon. There are many places where members... He may be heading around the world to working places like Afghanistan. I've given up the British passport in favour of an Irish one for family reasons. Uh, I just think there's a wee bit more to it than that. It it is the fact that more people, the number of Irish passports have been sort of uh, gone out in the last 12 months months—is an all-time high. And that's, again, Brexit because most people want that opportunity. From Northern Ireland as well, with the Irish passport, is to get. You know, you can travel over to Europe, etc., etc., in the EU and work without having to worry about work permits and visas, etc., cetera, etc. Cetera. Whereas with a British passport, now it's completely different ballgame. You need a visa to get into the country, and possibly a <coughs> and definitely a visa, to you know obtain employment if you're lucky enough to get a job. But anyway, on that interesting note really I will uh, love you and leave you and take care and enjoy the weekend okay because the the sun's coming through again here it's just amazing fickle weather really really fickle anyway take care and be kind to one another and I'll see you later next week okay bye
0: if you enjoy this NPR podcast please consider subscribing our podcasts are available on all major podcasting platforms apple podcasts google podcasts and spotify as well as the accessmedia.nz app support this show and others like it by giving a donation for more information go to www.mpr.nz forward slash donate